This episode of The Cinema Crew is brought to you by Simply Energy and the Simply Gold Class Plus Energy Offer. Teenage Angst and Bruce Springsteen in Blinded by the Light. September 3rd, 1987. You've got Wham Boys, Banana Rama Girls, and then there's me. Who here wants to be a writer? The writers I admire make a difference. Listen, if you want to succeed, do what the Jews do. Let's get racist, Dad. Stay away from the girls. Follow the Jews. Come on, everyone. My family is stuck in another century. You do not know this country like I do. They will never accept you, beta. That's good to not fit in. This is our table now. Deadly game of hide and seek in Ready or Not. Hide and seek? Are we really gonna play that? Ready or not. A captivating mystery in After the Wedding. Hi, good, you made it. Isabel runs an orphanage in India that I'm thinking of finding. Oh. Yeah. What are you doing here? I didn't know. Hi. Isabel, right? I told you that I would call you. But you didn't. And a documentary about a legend in Pavarotti. My mother says... My son sing with a beautiful voice. I said, Mama, you say that because you are my mother. No, because I don't say that when I hear your father. <laughs> Luciano's voice was beautiful. He would just open his mouth. Everything was easy. He's, he lived those songs. Luciano was the one and only. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell, but you can call me Cambo. And joining me as always is Vary McIntyre. Hello. And Dan Miranda. Hello. Now your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass thanks to Simply Energy and the Simply Gold Class Plus Energy offer coming up just a little later on, but first. I want to be a writer. Writing isn't a job. Thank me later. Inspired by the words of Bruce Springsteen. It's like Bruce knows everything I've ever felt. He's what your dad listens to, not my dad. Don't miss the feel-good movie of the year. I hope to build a bridge to my ambitions, but not a wall between my family and me. Blinded by the light. Hollywood seems to have worked out that people like music. It all started with Bohemian Rhapsody and a soundtrack full of Queen. Then came Rocket Man and Elton John, and even the upcoming Last Christmas features the music of George Michael. Well, this week, it's all about the backbone of American culture, Bruce Springsteen. So it might surprise you to find out that Blinded by the Light is a British film set in Luton. Dan, how does that work? Yeah, it it, it works in my opinion. Um, I went into this not even putting two and two together. I just saw the title, not even realizing it was a famous Bruce Springsteen song. So this is about a young Pakistani boy and he's growing up in Luton, England, as you mentioned, during the 80s. He's experiencing prejudice, economic turmoil, and family pressures of tradition. But through the music of The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, he finds a a unique way that's relatable and uh, a voice to help with his true passion, which is writing poetry. And I actually found this quite a, a universal message. 
Yeah, like as you mentioned, Cambo, with a lot of these music films coming out, even yesterday about the Beatles, it's like music movies about bands without the band in them. Mm. (laughs) So it's the music of and then somebody else's reaction to that music and that person or band and how it's like changed their life. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting with Bruce Springsteen specifically uh, because he's had so many offers to make a movie about him like Mm. Rocket Man or like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and he's turned them all down because he said there's something weird and like self-aggrandizing about having a movie about you while you're still alive. So this seems to be because he put his seal of approval on Blinded by the Light because it's not really about Bruce Springsteen at all. No, no. it's it's a coming of age story about a young man in Luton, England. But his outlet just happens to be the music of Bruce Springsteen because those themes are quite universal. Um, I actually love the way that Javed idolizes Bruce Springsteen because I think so many people will watch this and they can familiarize themselves with someone in their own lives that they might idolize just as much and actually be on board with the journey that he's going through. So, um. Someone might see uh, Freddie Mercury in the way that he sees Bruce Springsteen. I thought that was done really beautifully. And he goes to the the hometown and yep. it's such like a joyous moment in the film for him because he's seeing where all these moments in Bruce's life have actually happened. And talking of adoration, this movie is based on the life of the journalist who wrote a memoir called Greetings from Berry Park, Race, Religion and Rock and Roll. And he also helped write the screenplay for this. And this journalist idolizes Bruce Springsteen and he's from a small English town and so you get this juxtaposition of he's growing up in a very different time and place and Thatcherism was rife in the 80s and there was a lot of austerity and his father loses his job and he's got this cultural pressure to provide for his family and get a good job like a doctor or a lawyer and he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be a writer. He wants to be a poet and a songwriter and everything and so he gets to be able to do that and live out his dream by listening to this music. And I think that's a very good point you made, Barry, with um, the father because I think this at, at its heart this film story is the relationship between the father and the son and expectation mm. on religion comes into it as well as a lot of cultural aspects. Well, it's interesting that you bring up one kind of culture clashes and two people idolising other people because this is directed by Gwinda Charda. And you may not have heard of her name, but you've definitely heard of one of the films she made before, which is called Bend It Like Beckham. Yeah. Which has a lot of the same elements as this. And like Mm. Bend It Like Beckham, it's hard on its sleeve. It's unabashedly kind of cheesy and fun. So cheesy. But it's so full of heart that it's kind of hard to even be annoyed. It's forgiven. It's it's kind of like (laughs) cheese on cheese. (laughs) But I, I don't know. There's something about it. Like it just kind of swept me up in this wave of nostalgia, even though I didn't grow up with Bruce Springsteen, I got into him later in life, but there's something about it that's kind of like, it's so harmless. It's feel good. Yeah, it is. And Mm. I think a lot of her movies have those kind of themes about you're slightly an outsider, but there's someone that makes you feel like you fit in and, and you idolize them and you become better because of, you know, aspiring to be like the person that you idolize. And I think that those themes are really kind of well handled. Mm, yeah, look, I'm not a fan of Bruce Springsteen or that sort of country American music. Uh, there wasn't enough in it to make me annoyed <laughs> at the music. So, And it does touch on some heavier topics, like as we were mentioning, uh, and a bit of racism during the 80s. A, a lot b- a of- A bit is a generous way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't deal with it a lot because it is trying to still keep that upbeat, yeah. uh, happy family type of drama. So even touching on it a little bit, I think, is enough. It didn't go into it too deeply. But at the end of the day, it is a happy, fun 
look at life, I guess. And you do mention cheese there. I did get annoyed by the cheese. There was definitely some scenes where the characters are giving each other that sort of like, ha 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 laugh, looking at each other. And I'm like, "Mm, okay, right. It's it's going down this route. But uh, yeah, I could forgive it. Well, and it's interesting that uh, Bruce Springsteen is an interesting figure to pick as well, because I do feel like there's even sometimes like a misconstrued idea about him. Uh, he gets lumped in a lot with like these 80s rockers like Bon Jovi and mm. stuff like that, uh, whereas his music has always kind of universally been about one, escaping, and two, like the oppressed. Uh, all of his songs and all of his albums have generally been about those who are being oppressed in America specifically, I suppose, and whatever cultural mm. group that might be. So it is actually a really good fit for this story and that particular point in England and this character as well. Whereas the same thing wouldn't be true of, say, Jimmy Barnes or Brian Adams or someone like that, you know, because there is more kind of generic rock, whereas Bruce Springsteen did have that undercurrent kind of running through his music. I think I liked in this movie how a lot of the lyrics of his songs were projected on screen. Yeah. Because it felt like a karaoke show, but also like I would not have known what he's singing about and it was so specific to the story as well. well. That's the thing. He's a mumbler as well. Mm. Bruce Springsteen is a mumbler in how he sings. So it does, I even I wonder if it's a ne- like a necessity of the filmmakers <laughs> to be like, I this mean, I see about. his lyrics and they're, and they're great and they're relevant, but hey, he mumbles. <laughs> yeah, people <laughs> aren't going to get this. on a big building. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I want to admit what an absolute trick this movie played on me because I really, really enjoyed this movie, but specifically because of my life experiences. And I think there are going to be people out there similar to me that will be in the same boat. So uh, the movie is primarily about a relationship between his son and his father yeah, and the growing a part of that relationship. Uh, and when I was growing up, my dad loved Bruce Springsteen and I got into his music through my dad. So having a movie about a father and a son relationship that's peppered with Bruce Springsteen music, it really hit me. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. It was kind of designed perfectly to be like, you're going to get emotional. <laughs> and you know, right. like, I, I'm normally a bit of a stone wall. And I, I wouldn't say, like, I didn't cry necessarily, but it did actually make me go, oh, I should call my dad. <laughs> you know? So I think I'm not alone in that. I'm sure there's a lot of guys that listen to Bruce Springsteen and, you know, I, I don't see my dad all that much anymore and are probably in a similar boat. Just be careful because it pulls the rock out from under yeah. all of a sudden. And generally, like, I think I came out of it, like, recognizing my biases being like, man, that, that really hit me. It hit home for me. So who do you think should see Blinded by the Light? Look, so this, as you mentioned, Cambo, is going to maybe surprise a few viewers with its emotional centre around the father and son dynamic. I think if you're a fan of, as we mentioned before, the, the music films, whether it be, you know, a story about the artist itself or it uses music from a particular artist, you're going to take something from this. But I think anyone who's ever felt like an outsider, you're really going to latch onto the themes of this film and you'll get swept up in the cheese, even if you're lactose intolerant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, Cambo, you should see it again with your dad. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I will. Yeah. I could forgive the cheese in this film. It made me cringe a few times, but <laughs> that is at the heart of the movie. Um, it's an emotional film. I don't think you have to like Bruce Springsteen's music too much to still enjoy it because I didn't, I wasn't really into the music, but I still enjoyed the film and yeah, felt good. Ready or not, here we come. At midnight, you have to play a game. A game. And then you are officially part of the family. Now. 
hide and seek? Are we really gonna play that? Meet the in-laws. In my defense, it's been a while. They think they have to kill you before sunrise. From hell. Your family's insane. I wanted to get married. You're just another sacrifice. With family, one hopes for the best. Ready or not. They say you can make a horror movie out of anything if you do it right. Well, the filmmakers behind Ready or Not seem to think that was a challenge because their new movie is based around an elaborate game of hide and seek. Vari, does that work? It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Can I, I say, when I heard the premise of this movie, which I, yep. I'll have you explain in just a second, mm. I thought, awesome. <laughs> So it goes, this follows new bride Grace as she marries into this rich, eccentric family and they have a tradition that on the wedding night the family must play board games and, well, any any game really. Mm. So they have to pick a card and play whatever game it says on there and Grace picks hide and seek. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. So she just thinks this is a game of hide and seek. She goes into the dumbwaiter and... Lo and behold, she soon realizes that the whole family is out to kill her <laughs> with like guns and crossbows. And she has to escape with her life before dawn. It's it's such a simple, silly premise. <laughs> silly. But I, I like that movies like this, like tongue firmly in the cheek, mm. It mm. knows exactly the kind of schlocky, it's like a horror comedy. More As that's than exactly horror, what yeah. I've got written down. I, I call this a corridy. <laughs> mm, okay. Gotta work on it. Oh horror D? No. <laughs> or horror comedy. Oh, I want to make com. like a hashtag. All right. Horror com. Come on. Horror com. <laughs> horror D. That's better. Yeah, I mean it's a film that is the game Cluedo. <laughs> yes. You're just watching a film about it. It's great. Yeah, so I, I like there's a couple things I like. This seems to me like a Blumhouse movie that isn't oh. really a Blumhouse movie. Mm. True. So they're well known for Pretty small budget. I mean, this is set in a, in a big house mm. or a manor, I guess. Uh, but, you know, there's not a, a whole lot of characters. There's not a whole lot of locations. And they just have to get really creative in the way that they tell the story and the way that they do it to make it interesting. And I love that. I think that limitation really does breed creativity. And horror is where you will really find that. The cheaper the horror movie, the more creative people have to get. And that's how you get movies like the original Halloween that mm. really revolutionized mm. slasher films. Because they had to. They didn't have any money to no. do it. And I love that movies like this are still being made. Yeah. What interested me about this as I was doing my research was who actually had made this film, the directors and the writing team. Yeah. Most of them were actors. They've directed and written a couple of short horrors maybe, done some TV episodes. Um, and one of the directors was is mostly a cinematographer rather mm -hmm. than a director. So getting all these people together who are – doing roles like the writing and the directing, but their background is mostly something else, actually brought a very different feel to this film. Well, I also want to, there's two directors on this film. So back in 2012, they made a movie called VHS, which is a, a such a fantastic low-budget anthology movie mm. in which it's set through a TV set that is playing VHS tapes. Each VHS tape is essentially a horror short film. And they got a bunch of different directors on board to direct the little shorts in the VHSs. And it's since spawned like a little low budget franchise of VHS movies, but they've always been really creative in how they create mm. movies. And I'm glad that they're getting slightly more money each time they make a movie. And now ready or not is like the natural extension of that. Mm. Yeah. Because they've got Adam Brody and Andy McDowell on board who are pretty well known, 
But then they've also got Samara Weaving. Or as I call her, not Margot Robbie. Yes. <laughs> she looks so oh, much like Margot Robbie. All the time. She's the niece of Hugo Weaving. Yes. And I know her from the Stan TV series called Smilf. She plays a side character. So it's really cool to see her in a major role here. And she does such a brilliant job. The character herself goes from she's obviously shocked and scared and confused about what's happening at the beginning of the film and that could easily slip into the damsel in distress Mm. that you see in a lot of horror films when there's a female lead. But what actually happens is that she gets angry and determined to get out of this house alive and try and turn the tables and get back at the people who are trying to kill her. So I really enjoyed that progression of the character. And I must admit whenever she would make a decision there was never a time where I would think, oh, you're going up the stairs right, or doing yeah. the wrong thing. Yes. Like I was so on board yeah. with everything she did and I must say that her screams are guttural. <laughs> yes, like a Xena warrior scream. Yes. <laughs> and uh, to, to your point, that's something in horror movies that really gets to me when I would make the same decisions mm-hmm. as people mm. and then it goes badly for them. Yes. Mm. I'm always like, oh, no, but I would have done that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I always like when a horror movie kind of makes logical choices and I guess to your point, Vari, uh, about the fact that she's not a damsel in distress, it seems to flip a lot of conventions of horror mm-hmm. kind of on its head for the better because you're like, oh, I know where this is going, and then it doesn't. Yeah. And what's really great about this as well is there is a quite a large ensemble cast, mm. but each of the characters gets their own storyline. They yeah. have an arc and you get to know each one of them. Each of them has their own distinct personality. Yeah, and I must admit because obviously the family she's married into, there are other siblings and they've married people, so they've gone through a similar situation as she has. Maybe not as death-defying. I think one Why person didn't? one person had to play chess, so <laughs> why couldn't she get the chess card? Yes, Grace picked the one card that uh, you should not pick, mm. which is the violent one. <laughs> the one they made a film about. <laughs> but I feel like they go into the backstory of why potentially all those people are still going along with this pretty morbid ceremony because it doesn't happen until midnight. Yeah, so there's a lot of mystery surrounding what this family actually Mm. is about and how this game came about. So there's a lot of family history that it delves into. But basically what it is, this family empire and how they became so rich is based on their old board games. So they've gotten rich from a board game empire basically Mm. and that's based on the Milton Bradley Parker Brothers type who made Cluedo and everything. And um, there's some twists and secret people that you'll find out. It's interesting in this odd trend that seems to be movies made from childhood games. We had Tag last year Mm -hmm. and now Ready or Not. They finally, I don't think Tag quite worked. I mean, even Jumanji. Oh, yeah, Jumanji as well. Uh, Tag didn't quite work, but it seems that they've got it correct with Ready or Not. Mm. They've taken something that you are quite nostalgic about as a kid and then made it scary. Yeah, because the family members in this all use weapons from the game Cluedo and you should keep your eyes peeled and see if you can pick them. Going back to the manner that this is set, you do have Andy McDowell who plays the matriarch of the family and she's given off vibes similar to a sultry Morticia Adams. Oh, yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, beautiful. And she plays the character well because at times you feel you can trust her implicitly and then might shift in the next scene. And mm. you, you, I think I like that because you, th- you want to be brought in by this character but you're not sure how far you should go. So who do you think should see Ready or Not? Look, this has got a lot of gore, but it's a lot of fun. I think we all enjoyed it. There were some people we saw it with who were just like, what, what is this about? What, <laughs> what just happened? 
And that I think is a positive. <laughs> I do like films who who sort of like just present a situation. It doesn't really have to mean anything in the biggest scheme of the world. You've just gone for a bit of gore and a bit of fun. Yeah, and I think it's it's full of enough campy comedy moments in addition to the horror that, you know, think about Brightburn or even Child's Play to a lesser extent. Like if you enjoy those films, I think, you know, you're going to have a good time here. It's a perfect date movie. Probably not perfect for fiancés. Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfect young date movie. <laughs> yeah. No, don't be just about to be married because that might put you off. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the food? The beds? We were promised school supplies. They want you to go meet with them in New York. They want you to give us millions of dollars. I'm not coming back without a suitcase full of money. You must be Isabel. Yes. I'm Teresa. So nice to meet you. So we have a list of priorities. I have the caterers on the line. I'm really sorry about that. You just caught me at a, at a very busy time. My daughter's getting married this weekend. Come to the wedding, we can get to know each other better. I pronounce you husband and wife. Congratulations. After the Wedding is a remake of the critically acclaimed Swedish drama from 2006. While the original went on to be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Foreign Film, American remakes sometimes lose something in translation, but with two fantastic leading ladies on board, do you think this one's going to make it? Camber, I don't know whether or not this will work. For those of you who don't know, the storyline here is we've got Isabel, played by uh, Michelle Williams. She runs an orphanage in Calcutta, and a wealthy benefactor from uh, New York, Teresa, is promising to give some money to this orphanage. So she attends Teresa's daughter's wedding and... That's where the shtick or the crux, as we like to say, um, lies with the drama in this piece as to a mystery that's going on after the wedding. But this is a remake, so uh, it's Americanized. I don't know whether it's going to work or not. <laughs> yeah, Americans do like the melodrama. Mm. And, and, it, and not the subtlety. <laughs> Just quickly on the cast as well, the, the trailer of this movie, and look it up if you haven't seen it, does one of my favourite things, which it, it comes up with the cast cards. Mm. And it says Academy Award winner Julianne Moore, Academy Award nominee Michelle Williams, and Billy Crudup. Crudup. <laughs> oh, poor Billy. <laughs> I love Billy and Big Fish, though. He was good He's a that. great actor, mm. but it's always funny when just one of them yeah, doesn't have the they don't have that. <laughs> the last movie we reviewed Julianne Moore in was called Gloria Bell, which is a, a similar film. It was based on a, a Chilean 2014 film and was remade in an American way. And so she seems to be following this trend of doing movies that are remakes of foreign language films. Do you think she's just going into, I mean, I guess we don't have uh, rental stores anymore, but some kind of store going to the foreign section, <laughs> running her finger on the spines being like, that one. That's different. <laughs> yeah. And Gloria Bell was great. It was a great remix of of something that audiences may not have been able to see because a lot of people wouldn't probably look at foreign films. And yeah. so in a way, Americanizing it will bring it to a bigger audience. And I don't know if it's going to lose something in translation, No, I guess, in its literal sense. And but what they have done with this one is gender flipped the roles. Mm. So the Danish one was Mads Mikkelsen as the main character. And so this one is Michelle Williams. And I don't know if that's going to bring in some different elements to the characterizations and relationships as well. There are times that American remakes, like I said in the beginning, kind of they missed the point. But for each of those, there's also, you know, the American office, which did seem to understand mm. and translate well. Yeah. And I think if the, the premise is simple enough, which it is here, you know, this character goes to a, to a wedding and there is a connection there and there's a mysterious past between two characters and you don't know quite what it is. 
I think the hook is still enough to kind of get people in. It really comes down to whether or not they're going to stick the landing. Yeah, and I think definitely with the cast being who they are will be, obviously there's a mystery that people will want to know, but if it was no names, I don't know whether or not people would be coming to see this. So this one is in limited release, but if you like the sound of it, who do you think should see After the Wedding? This one is high drama. It's got mystery. It edges on melodramatic, but it's got some really stellar cast to it. So maybe audiences should go see it and tell us whether we should go see it. <laughs> I think this is going to lean more towards the more mature audience goers. If, you, if you're a fan of Days of Our Lives or any of that real melodrama or mm. even... Or, I don't think it's quite at that level. It's not yet. at that level. Yeah, it's still... It's still well, I've in heard our, it edges on. But I, I think, yeah, if you're a fan of that and obviously the cast, I think you're going to... Enjoy this film. Also in cinemas, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Angelina Jolie returns to find the truth of who she is. Zombieland 2, Double Tap. Got another sequel with Zombieland, Abigail Breslin, Emma Stone, Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson. And it only took them 10 years. And Judy. Renee Zellweger does a stellar performance of the iconic star. Yes, you can hear about all of those movies and, in fact, everything that's in the cinemas right now in our back catalogue that you can access from whichever podcast app you'd like. Dan, I've got a question for you. Yes. Do you like Gold Class? I love Gold Class. Well, Vari, let me ask you this. Do you like energy in your house supplying power to things and heat and warmth? Oh, of course. Well, you wouldn't think those two things would combine, but they do in Simply Energy's Simply Gold Class Plus energy deal. Yes, the cinema crew has a sponsor on board who love movies almost as much as us. Switch to Simply Energy Gold Class Plus and receive up to eight Gold Class tickets with your energy offer. Quick fire round, what movie would you use your Gold Class passes on? Like for right now? Oh, Zombieland. Zombieland 2. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What about you, Dan? Judy. Well, I'm going to sign up, get the tickets, take my dad to see Blinded by the Light. Good idea. Yes, just look up Simply Energy for more information. Pavarotti would attract hundreds of thousands of people. He became the global rock star. Mr. Pavarotti, on the road, you like to have a hotel room with a kitchen, isn't that right? <laughs> he became completely obsessed by what he could do for others. The reason he is great is he lived those songs. Luciano was the one and only. Ron Howard has followed in the tradition of fellow filmmaker and Marvel hater Martin Scorsese and decided he wants to make the odd documentary. And lately it's been all about the music docos. After his fantastic Beatles film, Eight Days a Week, he has turned his attention to the legend of opera, Pavarotti. Will this be enough to get people in? Yeah, Ron Howard is a busy man. He We've really been is. Um, reviewing a lot of his movies lately. And as you said, this is about the legendary opera singer Luciano Pavarotti. This feels like a pretty traditional documentary. It's got interviews with Bono, Spike Lee, Princess Diana, Stevie Wonder, all this archival footage put together about the life of Pavarotti. And Ron Howard said that he wanted to make an opera about Pavarotti. <laughs> he sings about operas. Let's make this movie like an opera of his life. And so that became the organising principle of the film, collating the music with parts of Pavarotti's life and, and trying to join them up. And so this movie is only in limited release, so it's only playing at a few select places, and that means that we haven't been able to see it yet. But mm -hmm. let me tell you, simply off eight days a week alone, how good Ron Howard's Beatle documentary was. Mm. I'm all in. 
he has such a great way. And I think it's, you know, he's been directing films since he was about 21. And he has this great way of making them really kinetic and flow because nothing, like, trims all the fat. And very much like that with his movies as well. His movies are very, very streamlined. That's kind of what he's known for is he chops out the fat. And documentaries is where that's really applicable. And I think that similar to Martin Scorsese, having made movies for so long that documentaries are like almost a practice for them to get good at like taking a lot of information and construing it down to simple points. And I think that based on how good he is at it, even though I have no real interest in Pavarotti, I still want to see this movie. Yeah. And I think what's interesting and riveting about this uh, documentary is that um, a lot of the archival footage has been sourced from his one of his previous wives. And so a lot of the interviews in that is uh, quite raw and emotional and, to be frank, the truth, what's and all. And it, it seems to be a good year for movies about icons, and I think Diego Maradona was really good for this as well, of mm. just this footage that's been sitting around for years belonging to, like, family mm. members or, in Pavarotti's case, one of his many wives. Mm. <laughs> And they, they're just like, do you want this footage? Like they just give it to a filmmaker and a filmmaker then compiles a movie out of it. And I think it's really interesting, especially uh, there's a lot of moments of Pavarotti just before he goes on stage in this movie showing how nervous he was every time he took the stage. It's something that apparently never went away in his life. Always gut-wrenchingly nervous, even though he's the most famous opera singer of, of his time. But I yeah. suppose like at one point, if you're not as good as your last performance. Exactly. Yeah, you've got to live up human. to it. Mm. Yeah. And on that topic as well, I didn't realise how much humanitarian work that he did. He did a lot of concerts for orphans and um, disaster relief. And in 1998, he was actually appointed the United Nations Messenger of Peace. That's what I mean. That's what I really work. like about these films because, I mean, I think we're of a generation where Pavarotti was kind of the generation before mm. us. Mm. So he wasn't so much in the zeitgeist when we were growing up. But there's all these interesting facts about them that yeah. you just don't know. And it really rounds them out because I always kind of picture a caricature of a man. True. He's kind of big and boisterous and he's got the jet black hair, even though he's kind of ridiculously old at that point when I knew him. But you're right. You find out all these things. You're like, wow, that mm. I see now a little bit more why he was as regarded as he was. And when we see documentaries like about Whitney Houston and Diego Maradona, as you mentioned, they're all really tragic backstories um, that you learn about what these people are actually going through. And Pavarotti doesn't seem to have that much of a tragic backstory. <laughs> he seems to live a pretty nice life. And it makes me kind of sad that like he was such like a happy person. He died of cancer, but he was quite old. He had a really good life. Um, and it's kind of nice to see that not all famous rich people have tragic backstories. <laughs> so who do you think should see Pavarotti? Fans of classical music will love this story, but I think, as you say, Vari, uh, this documentary and all the recent documentaries we've seen lately have really humanised these epic figures in popular culture that make it attainable for anyone, whether or not you're a fan of classical music, rock, or even music alone. You'll just connect with the person. My grandma, I reckon, would like this. She's a bit of people who like the royal family, you know, those sorts of people. Like Princess Diana is in this quite yes. a bit and, um, you know, Bono and all these sorts of famous people that royalists sort of like and he was he was quite intertwined with that sort of that culture and those people who are like really rich but they actually do really nice humanitarian work.
we know. See? He's her lobster. When were you under me? You know Friends. Everyone knows Friends. It's Everybody that show where everyone has inexplicably huge apartments and spends all the time <laughs> drinking coffee. Well, can you believe it's been 25 years since oh Friends hit the air? And to celebrate, Village are actually screening an event called Friends 25th, the one with the anniversary, and it is a Friends marathon on the big screen. Oh, my God. Imagine seeing 25 years worth of episodes. <laughs> it's, it's not, not, it's not that quite many. that long. <laughs> <laughs> They've chosen an eclectic mix of um, some episodes to show. I think a lot of it kind of focuses on the Ross and Rachel relationship, which mm. is always a bit juicy. And I love a good movie marathon. Well, that's it. It's the kind of thing you're going to have to come in the comfy clothes, stock up on, yes. like, in fact, replenish stocks of food, I think. Yeah. So it plays over five hours and, I mean, numerous episodes in there. And they've they've got a mix of, like, the pilot episodes in there and then, like, classic episodes are in there as well. But it's the kind of thing that you get a group of friends, you get in your comfy clothes, and you just kind of pig out and watch friends. Yeah, bring a blanket and a pillow. and That's what you do at home anyway as well, but you get to see <laughs> it on a huge screen. Mm. And bring coffee. <laughs> yeah, win big mugs. So here's the thing. I mean, growing up, I actually didn't watch that much Friends. And Bavara, you're quite a big fan. Yes, Can I you am. clarify something for me? Were they on a break? Were they on a break? Who knows? Were they, do you think? Oh, well, I think. I mean, technically, yes. Oh, well, communication is key in yes. any relationship and that should have been clarified it's before. It's usually like time-wise. Even if you are on a break, it's kind of like. Shoving it in someone's face if it's just like 20 minutes later that you hook up with someone else, like even if it's an official break, mm. that it's still. Too soon. It still seems yeah. like it hurts you today. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, you're a little bit in the same bed as me, not as familiar with friends. I would say even less so yeah. than me. How, Do you think guys? that this is what? a good way to like get into friends? Do you know what? I think that's actually true. It's like I a think- five hour band aid you rip off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it'd be like, as we say, like I think you come with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, comfy, <laughs> comfy clothes, coffee. Like I think this is a perfect like introduction to the franchise because it is 25 years yeah. old. So I think if you are, you know, you, you, you've heard of Friends, you're not the biggest fan, but this is the perfect way to just boom, watch a bunch of episodes, see if you love it or not. I have a really good friend who we have uh, fond memories together of just watching millions of the episodes while studying it's something that's just really good to have in the background yeah and just to be able to like watch it and do something else at the same time so like to sit down and watch with no other distractions except just watching the episode and i will say that i really 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 love sitcoms so even though that they are cheesy i i love yeah the, i love that laughter because i feel like ah we're we're watching a live show it's yeah, an audience kind of communal. That's why yeah. i can't understand why you guys have never watched this this I is your watch sort it of a bit, thing but channel nine i hate you anyway I, <laughs> it's ironic- all on catch up come on mm, too late ironically didn't really watch friends love the show episodes which is all about friends so i'm an enigma <laughs> What's episodes? I haven't seen that. It's, it's a show where Matt LeBlanc plays yeah. himself. Oh, yeah. Post Friends and they've got him on a new TV yes. show. And it's written by David Crane who created yeah. Friends. Oh, okay. And it references Friends all the time. I remember it. Stay off my Friends. Huh. This is what I want to see. And, in fact, maybe even a call to action to those that are <laughs> going to the marathon. When the theme song plays, I would love the entire cinema at the exact point to go... That's all I want. I want a whole audience of people doing that. Yeah, great. 
So if you're a big old Friends fan, get your Joey, get your Chandler, get your Gunter. Is that his name? Um, Gunther? I was, I'm amazed I got that close. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> get, get them all and bring them down. Now for your chance to win a gold class double pass, thanks to Simply Energy and the Simply Gold Class Plus Energy offer, simply head to the Village Cinema's Facebook or Instagram page, look for the Cinema Crew post and answer the question, which artist should have their music featured in a film? Yes, simply leave your answer with the hashtag the Cinema Crew for your chance to win. Next week, come with me if you want to live. It is Terminator Dark Fate. And sharks are coming for us all in 47 metres down, uncaged. But until next time, thank you, Vari. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thanks. My name is Cambo, and this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.